This episode of the Savage Snowflake podcast is brought to you by Boundless Technology. Boundless Technology strives to advance in the cannabis industry by creating innovative products with portability and stealth in mind. Aiming to deliver an affordable, efficient and straightforward experience for the consumer, Boundless offers an alternative to the traditional joint or water pipe. Enjoy the taste, smells and effects of cannabis at lower vaporization temperatures with Boundless Technology products. Use coupon code SAVAGE for 10% off all Boundless Technology products at bndlstech.com. Follow Boundless on all social media at bndlstech. And if you want to show your support for the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash savage snowflake to donate as little as $1 a month. All right, savages, let's get to it. Savage. Oh, I love them. Well, that's a good way to start the show. Why not? Let's talk about things, probably. Yeah. Um... Uh, first of all, I should do the intro. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Savage Snowflake Podcast with me, Jeff Leach, your host, your brother, your lover, your mother, your sister, your friend, your confidant, your teacher, and definitely your student. You always teach me things all the time on the interwebs. Appreciate that. Thanks for being in touch with the show as well. Thanks to our patrons and thanks to our sponsors as well. I mentioned at the beginning. Joining me today, a wonderful guest who I've been quite excited about having on. Um, I only hit him up recently, and you have got to be if I, if you got if there was a star rating, like an Uber star rating of your ability to respond to interested parties about your comedy 4.81 oh bro you'd be five star in it right now i don't know how many other reviews you would have already had preceding that maybe you've slacked in other areas with well my, i have a 4.81 uber rating i Amazing. checked it today actually okay. yeah so you're a very naturally friendly guy and you have a very warm face that even that with makes, my beard yeah no dude i think your beard and the hat today there's a little kind of um life aquatic kind oh, of going yeah. on there a little bit of that with the hat and the hat and the beard but you, uh, you have a warm, inviting face. Um, it's Mr. Brody Stevens. Yes, I, I was gonna, I was, I was doing this thing where I'd like to give a couple of credits to people when I, when I interview them, uh-huh. and I say hello to them, and have a conversation with them. But you have literally done. Just go to his Wikipedia page or IMDb and just look at the list because it was everything. It was every single late night show you've appeared on. You seem to have done warm up for every single major show that's been shot out here in LA in the last five years. You've been in all the Hangover movies and a whole load of other films. It's, you've done lots of TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know you have a very impressive resume, dude. Oh, thanks. And um. As I've only been here one year, what I'm learning very rapidly is that work comes from being liked. So you must be very well liked in comedy. Um, thank you. I I think so. Yeah. I think I've always been uh, a nice guy. I would think through playing sports in the before. I played. I, I come from I a baseball world. I was background. a teammate. I was a and you, pitcher. You got a sponsorship to college for for baseball. Yeah, as well. I actually went to Arizona State. Oh, I did my research, mate. I read, oh, so I read, you know. You I read know. a few things, yeah. Yeah, so I played a lot Mom's of... Mom's from New Mexico. There's you a lot got it. There. I saw your tweet about Jeff Bezos referencing that today as well. Yeah, I, because recently or, you know, in the news, he's getting a divorce. So I kind of knew Jeff Bezos stuff a little bit because yeah. he did move to Seattle when I moved up there. I just want to know what his fucking ex-wife's phone number is because, what was it, $127 billion fortune they're splitting? Yeah, she's going to get, like, a lot. Dude, she's going to be the richest wo- woman in the world. She could eat sushi out of my urethra and I would let her do that if that's what she wanted to do I'm with gonna... one chopstick yeah <laughs> exactly just one chop it out yeah flick it straight up into the mouth I did let her do anything for a bit of that she looks pretty good actually his, she's smoking hot his man. wife she's got uh, better looking through the years it's almost as if infinite wealth <laughs> allows you to look great because you can afford to pay for surgeries tanning facials massages yeah. well she grew her hair out I think her hair is longer, but yeah. her body is like she looks pretty, pretty per- healthy. Personal trainer though, and they probably got a chef, a living chef. 
Yeah, or maybe she uses Grubhub. Or Grubhub. That could also work. Yeah, Fresh Brothers sending over salads to her and shit. Here's the deal, man. I feel like once you're that wealthy, if you look like shit and you're that wealthy, you fucked up somewhere. Right. Because you know what I, mean? you, I guess you can pay for the, those things. Anything, the implants. Anything, bro. You can, you can pay seven way uglier guys to walk around with you all the time so you always look infinitely more handsome. There's that. But you still got you still have to do cardio. You still have to do it. Do you? Or you go to a doctor who sucks the fat out of your stomach so there's no, it never develops there anymore. Maybe you pay uh, you pay someone to do those those treatments, the sweat treatments and the fucking wraps and you get in there and they give the put the little things on to keep your abs. Yeah. You don't have to do anything, man. But you know what I think it's these people who are billionaires I'm or what, exactly what have you. It's still only 24 hours in a day. Yeah. They still need their eight hours sleep, yeah. you would think. And, you know, yes, you do cardio. I mean, yeah, you're getting these these implants. You're getting abs put in. You know what the difference is? You can get like a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. I have to go to the gym and work out every day and do my hour on my own and hope that I'm changing my body in the right way. But I don't have a degree in health or in fitness. Yeah. Whereas Jeff Bezos and his wife, guaranteed there's a guy called chad who runs up at six every morning like hey mr bezos hey mr bezos we ready and they head yeah. out to the fucking park no head out to the park what am i talking about they go he's three got levels park. up in their mansion to the home gym there you go and that motherfucker gives them their nutrition so much easier i can't wait to be wealthy yeah i'm gonna have such a good body brody but they want to do the, i mean these jeff bezos would probably want to be a stand-up comedian yeah or you know and it's like or some of these guys would want to hang out with a major league baseball team. Sure, sure, you know, There's sure, fantasy sure. camps. Guys will pay, you know, thousands of dollars to be able to hang out with a major league baseball team. Do you I- lament missing the sport? Because you, you're, it's clearly like, I mean, it was the biggest passion in your life at one point, I'm assuming. Yeah, I wanted to be a baseball player. Yeah. But I still get to hang out with baseball teams. That's the thing. Okay. My friend is a coach with the in the major leagues. He's been there for 24 years now. And I know a bunch of other players. So I get access. you're a pitcher, right? I was a pitcher, yeah. So I still think like a pitcher. I still yeah. have that mentality. Yeah. And That's I, why you're fucking throwing out gags left, right, and center. Bingo. Boom. You got boom, it. Because you're pitching. You're controlling the vibe. Yeah. You're, you're controlling the energy. And definitely baseball, being a teammate. And I learned a lot about especially at Arizona State, I learned about the psychology of coaching. Okay. So I learned about what it was like to be a winning teammate. A, um, a I coached also at Arizona State. They kept me around. So I learned the value of being a good teammate. Yeah, yeah. And I was able to apply that later on when I started doing audience warm-up. I lucked out six years into doing stand-up to when I got a job at Fox Sports doing the audience warm-up there. Okay, yeah. So I would have every high school baseball team, high school football team, community college, rehab groups, but a lot of sports teams would come into the show. Yeah. So I was able to kind of te- treat it like a like I was a coach. Did you was it characterized then? Was it like characterized as coach? Were you like coach Stevens or anything like that? No, I was Brody. You know, okay. I was always Brody, but sure. I would um you know, get on these kids for slouching you know I, I i really learned about like sitting up and being positive and be and having good energy yeah because not only do the the crowds appreciate it whether they know it or not the, yeah. the crew guys do the camera guys of course, do of course, of course and then little things when you have energy and you're putting that out there it will help the, the talent on the show less mistakes funnier yeah and, the and audience just, 
dude uh, the 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 importance of a good warm-up for a show but also great mcs for a good comedy show is like it can be the be-all and end-all of a comedy show and i, I feel like that's vastly underrated yeah you know? definitely people are a little bit a little bit blind to that and that's always annoys me when people come up to you know the mc after a show and go hey you're really funny you should do comedy or something like that you're like motherfucker he is doing comedy he's literally holding this he's setting this thing up yeah he he did the foreplay yeah was- i used to host quite a bit yeah at the improv yeah and the thing with hosting though is they'll give you the crowds will give you attention for you know, 12 minutes or whatever you're doing up front. Sure, sure. And then after that, it's kind of keep it moving. Sure, of course. Yeah. And you should be keeping the pace up, but also someone might bomb or like have a, you know, a bit of a dud closer. Then you got to come, gotta up, go come and- up and do a minute or whatever, you know, just like get them back in there. It's such an under underrated uh, skill set that I know is so fucking important. But when I started, when I was hosting at the uh, Improv here in Hollywood and yeah. hosting the Largo shows, I would... That's when I started in, interacting a lot with the guests, like Zach, a lot, Zach Alphanakis. We would play a lot off each other. He would yeah. be on the show and he'd say something to me. I'd say something back to him. That yeah, he kind produced of one of the shows that you did as well, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he produced the show, Enjoy It, on Comedy Central. Yeah. He, he'd always been a fan of mine. And many- Did you meet here in Los Angeles or in Seattle? Because that's where you started stand-up. I, well, actually, I or lived in New chops. York. Sorry, cut your chops. Yeah, I, I, I started... I officially started in seattle in february of 94 okay but fucking I, hell man i was 10 years old yeah that's when and, and jeff bezos moved there that's the thing jeff bezos moved to seattle in 1994 he heard you i moved there. there there was something happening up there dude maybe he could just give you like one billion that would help wouldn't that be <laughs> and it's fun. every i like how you just go like it's like a thousand dollar investment like well i guess that would yeah that would help it would make be, a difference it would make a difference but it's funny he's dating the uh what would you do with a billion dollars a billion yeah boom here's a billion dollars done what, what would you what do you now what's your next steps i would probably and i'd still probably do comedy podcasting. i fucking hope so man yeah you know i don't think i'd walk away from comedy i don't know like i said i get to do a lot of things that people don't have the opportunity. You could buy a baseball team, right? I could buy a baseball team. I, I'd probably travel a little bit. Okay. You know, I think I would travel. I would. Um, you have such wonderfully modest um, choices with a billion dollars. You're like, no, I'd go and see a few countries. I think that'd be nice. I travel. I think I'd like follow a band around. Yeah, which band? I don't know, like Pearl Jam or something like that. <laughs> I mean, that's what guys do my age now. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would do that and. I mean, look, we're here in Los Angeles. We have nice weather. We, I mean, I've, I've, I've met so many, especially doing the audience warm-up back in the day, I met so many, you know, cool, interesting people and yeah. heroes of mine, athletes, and just to be around the action. And then today now, being at the comedy store, you're seeing a bunch of people. I'm seeing Joe Rogan every night. I'm seeing sure. Bill Burr. I'm seeing Jeff Ross. I'm seeing Sebastian. It's like I'm right in the middle of it. Yeah, Which yeah. is kind of cool. Um, but... I would probably keep doing the same thing. I yeah, man. Fuck yeah. But you could do, it's, it's, it's the idea of the freedom of then going, for instance, I would go, all right, immediately I, I'd, I'd probably go, well, let's stick a big chunk into properties, buy some properties. Yeah. A big chunk into low investment, big chunk into high investment, um, you know, um, and then a high risk and low risk investments. And then I go make my own film, shoot my own TV series, and then I'd probably give shit tons away to charity i go i don't need it you don't know no, no, no yeah, one needs a billion dollars charity. no one needs a billion dollars so i go well let's just give half that away to worthy causes and just change hundreds of thousands of lives possibly yeah um and then the rest i'm going to put into creative projects to try and spread more laughter 
There you go, spreading yeah. spreading the positive energy. And I might get a really high end escort to come around and you know give you yeah service have, me. Yeah, massage. Yeah, female energy. Yeah, I mean you got a nice clean place here. I Thank mean, you. I, man. you don't need, I don't think you need a house. I keep it escort ready at all times. There you go. I've actually only ever had sex once with an escort, and it wasn't very. I didn't really enjoy it. Oh, you didn't? Because no, you're, you're missing the love, dude. It wasn't even love. It's even with um. It's something about I've never liked. I don't like someone giving me something sexually that they didn't want to give me. That's not a turn on for me. So, right. so um, yeah. So paying someone that she doesn't want to fuck me. She wants to just make money, and I'm sure there would be a million things she would rather do than fuck me. Yeah. And then also, um, yeah, I don't know, it just feels like, that's, that's, that feels bad to me. It feels, that's not seedy, not sexually seedy, but it feels like unattractive to me, unsexual. I'm kind of like, to be honest with you, I mean, I'm 48, yeah. so I'm getting, I'm nearing 50. Still have a year and a half to go. But I'm, I just don't have the same drive for that. I don't know if it's drive for or sex care. In general? For sex or hooking up with chicks. I don't know if it's, I say chicks. Because I'm getting older, or yeah. maybe it's also just the climate of today. Like, you got to watch what you say, or do I don't want... I mean, it's very... I, I do feel, especially here in California and Los Angeles, specifically Hollywood, that it's just a lot of drama going on here. Sure, man. And I just kind of... There's an interesting uh, new set of laws now and red tape to understand sexually as a man. I think it's great, because there were some men who were clearly way over here going, it's all right for me to do this. That's what she wants. It's like, nah, you're being a bit fucking rapey, dude. Right. Or fully raping women but I think even for the guys who are not like that not pieces of shit like us there's still an element of going well now I need to do I she said yes but then she was like playfully pulling away so now do I need to go hang on a sec are you, are you do you actually want me to you know you kind of you kill- almost have to sign a paper yeah well time. I have a whole bit about you know a girl telling me she wants me to fuck I want you to fuck my pussy fuck my mouth fuck me in the ass until I beg you to start I'm like oh shit Ooh. well I want you to sign a release form you know it's right. like that's a the PDF file that's my yeah exactly these days I, I think that honestly it's like people talk about they don't want to raise a kid in this kind of world there's yeah. just so many you don't want to get your dick prob- wet in this kind of world there's just yeah there's just problems and people are angry they're brainwashed and i i think there are some good women out there yeah yeah but it's it's, they're hard to find well i hope it's the same as men i hope there's more good women than would ever make a false claim in the same way i still hope there's more good men than would ever sexually assault a woman in the world i hope that's the case yeah i don't know if the numbers are right um i like that you use raising a child as thing that could be the tagline like it's a dangerous time to raise a child or raise a penis no, there you go. Or raise a flag. Yeah, goodness. Can't exactly, even do that either. Exactly. Yeah. Are yeah. you are you are you an American um are you passionate about American being American? And are you uh are you a, a patriotic man? Um I think so. I, I think um I'd call myself that. I, I support America. I like America. I like American values, yeah, Judeo Christian yeah. values. I'm open minded. I mean I think there's a lot of guys like me who uh were, still are open-minded about things but because it's been so again like the the political climate hollywood climate the news climate media climate they're like kind of i've turned like into a hermit almost Bro, i get it i'm worried about comedy climate that's the bit i'm worried about i'm worried about how easily is how easy it is now for mainstream media to attack the art form of comedy and they are yeah but i also feel that if you're funny and your heart's in the right right place sure and you're in in that room getting laughs doing well yeah that's 
that that's that's what I focus on. Absolutely, man. Well, that's what it should be focused on. But now it's like, oh, he said this thing, Kevin Hart with the Oscars thing, you know, 10 years ago, he makes a comment and he's already apologized for it. They want him to apologize again to host it. Nah, fuck that shit. Even Louis, I mean, like, right. whether or not, you know, you, uh, I'm, let's not get into the politics of it. Louis did some bad things mm-hmm. that he shouldn't have done. But he... The jokes he told that have now been taken out of context, uh, recorded against his will, not shown in the full context of a mm-hmm. show, that are completely aligned with the comedy he's always done his entire right. career. People attacking that and saying it's not funny are stupid. It's funny. It's it, The audience was laughing. I laughed when I heard it. Mm-hmm. And it's a funny joke. Is it a nice joke? Not necessarily. Is it within the context of him overstepping some boundaries somewhere he shouldn't go? Maybe. But it's a funny joke. You know, that's that's what I get upset about. Like, I want you to be able to make jokes with your left, right, right. But they know. they don't want. There's a, a you know big segment yeah. that 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 just they don't want him to perform because he didn't apologize sure. or he hasn't taken enough time off. So anything he says, they're gonna. Well, he hasn't addressed gonna, it. That's the biggest issue, isn't it? Yeah, you do something like that. you gotta gotta kind of go. Hey, here's what happened, and here's my fault in it. Here's some jokes. You know. Yeah, I it's think hard. that, and also I I think like somebody at my level or our our level is like let you know, let uh, let Kevin Hart take some bullets not and I mean that in a not that way or <laughs> what? They would, shots fired this is going to be the new beef the new online beef no same thing with Louis CK it's like unfortunately these big guys are going to have to kind of deal with it and I think hopefully in time things will kind of chill oh, and yeah, mellow, mellow out because we can see this is just causing more and more problems and see how how insane this is or a waste of energy or what have you so i feel like me i'm at the level that i don't really have to worry about it so much Yeah, exactly so i just kind of keep doing my thing and chipping away um but not to say that yeah something if i had a bigger spotlight on me and i put out a weird tweet or oh everyone's got skeletons no one something up no one is perfectly clear of anything in this world and that's 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 what the thing that that I feel like we're we're losing sight of. That's what comedy's got to be about as well. Surely, I, the the reason I, you know, I sort of briefly mentioned, but I didn't talk about how uh, I reached out to you. It's because I've seen you now a couple of times at the comedy store, mm-hmm. uh, just fucking tearing it up, dude. Like really killing on even on nights where one of the particular shows. I think I was with Paul Provenza at the back, and we were watching and. It was just not good. It was not a great show. In the original room, it can be so hit and miss. Yeah. Especially late night, especially once there's a few drunkards in the audience exactly. and stuff. You know, and a few, uh, enti- the entitlement of, of LA, you know, the nepotism and the entitlement. And then we were watching just going, fuck all this audience. And then some of the comics didn't do the right things, which instead of making the audience empathize, they just attacked them. You know, well, fuck you. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what's funny. That's a great joke, blah, blah. And then you came up and I think it was the first time I'd seen you live. And uh, and me and Paul were in fucking stitches, dude. But it was, you turned everyone into a lover. You took them out of that bad place. Yeah. And you made them all your friend. And you definitely have a kooky alternative onstage persona that's a little more, you know, it's part of you, but enhanced. Mm-hmm. Um, But it was this blase, like, I don't give a fuck about your negative shit. And here's some positive stuff. Listen to me. It was like this beautiful, like, it was well, theater, man. Well, I've done so many late night spots there. I yeah. started doing late night spots essentially. And when was this? When you first started a store? How, how long? I got past there in like two thousand, two thousand and one. When Man. I first moved right, back so out here, a couple, here. couple of decades. Yeah. So I got past early on. Yeah. And I would get late spot like after the hump. Drop your wallet. I drop my wallet. 
I would get uh, after the hump spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was always used to like craziness of late night. Sure. And People I was getting checks and stuff. And you have to battle that or they're drunk and they're. Yeah, that or just comedians goofing around because anything goes to the comedy store. They allow that. You know, late night you can do some crazy stuff. Sure. And it's all. So I was like used to that. So I always saw that. And I never really had. I wasn't like a major prime time. So I was always just used to that. And. I can it made me strong to be able to handle these these kind of awkward situations. They're not awkward to me. It's like doing I can do comedy outside, I can do it in the daylight, I can do it in shorts, I can do it, I can do the audience warm-up, I could close the show. Yeah. I'm versatile with that, but I was so used to doing those late night tough spots. Does that have a knock on effect to all the other work as a comedian that you do within the industry? Do you then have a almost like a jump to Get, as soon as someone says something, it's like bang! I got to jump on that immediately and 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 control a, that a little I'm bit, like, a little. Um, I mean, for one thing, a little like doing those late night spots in the main room, for example, which holds four hundred people, and sometimes I'll go up and there'll be twelve people, fifteen people, twenty, sometimes a hundred. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's an energy thing. You're not. I'm so used to a room being busted out. I get up there and. There's, I'm more relaxed actually in a room that's been that's like done with. Yeah. When they're there, like we're eager to laugh, we're here, and they're not necessarily my fans. They're fans of comedy. They're fans sure, of sure. the comedy store, and we've seen comedy on YouTube, and we've seen comedy on Comedy Central, yeah. and we're already. We've and you say something, they don't Netflix get it. Specials, yeah. So for me, because I do have some sensitivities, I'll say stuff, and maybe it gets. You know, not like a third of the crowd's laughing, but sure. two thirds aren't. And I'm kind of like feeling that. I can feel some of the enormity of that at times. And yeah. I can, that causes me to maybe get a little panicky or uncomfortable. And maybe I lash out or get nervous. Whereas, like, when I'm up at the end and it's busted out, I can kind of like pick and choose and do my, do my jokes. And then it's also like fun. I don't want to go up there and and waste my set and cause negativity. I mean, I've had times at the comedy store I've, like, you know, had it out with the audience. It's happened a few times. I had the same thing with the Comedy Cellar in New York, you know? Even had a fight with an audience member outside, which was not very good for my... Not great for my, uh, my, you know, for the word on the street about me, but... Yeah, you know. But, you know, I I understand what you're saying. There's that that kind of fractious energy. Sometimes that can be a blessing. Sometimes you can end up being... Uh, I actually heard Chris Delia talk about you on his congratulations podcast. Oh, yeah. And he talked about one particular night where you were up and everyone else was having a shitty night and you went up and performed and they just fucking loved you. And at the end, you were meant to bring someone else up and they were like, nah, just carry on. And you were like, no, 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 no. And you tried to get off. They went, no, you do my set. You do my set. And you were like, no, 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 no. And eventually you went back up and they fucking applauded and they loved you. Yeah, I remember and that, then, that was true. And you ended up doing three sets in a row or something. Three comic sets. They just kept, to everyone just kept going, let Brody stay up because the whole audience wanted you. Something like that, obviously, that's a life-changing moment in your comedy career. Not as finance uh, or fame or anything like that, but for you personally, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you walk away from that experience going, oh my God, I'm never going to forget that fucking night. That was... Well, amazing. yeah, I know. I mean, it does feel good, to be honest with you, knowing that comedians like me, that sure. I can walk into a comedy club and I have fans, whether it be people working there yeah. or other comedians. So I know that. I, 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 I do... I feel it. I do believe it. 
You know, uh, am I able to capitalize on that? I don't know, but well, whatever that means. Well, I'm saying there's two like there's two things though with those late night spots that I think, and obviously you understand that world incredibly well after doing two decades of that kind of show at the mm -hmm. comedy store, especially. But there's either makes you nights, which are those ones where you get three people's sets because you're just fucking killing and they don't even want to follow you. And that's amazing. But then there's the other ones where you do go, I really wanted to try this bit tonight. I really just wanted to run my show, run my set. And this fucking idiot in the front. And I've made everyone else laugh because I've dealt with him and I've come back to every heckle and put him in his place. And it feels good to have those skills, but it doesn't make you feel good. Well, I'm asking actually. It doesn't make me feel good because I go, that's not what I wanted to give to the audience comedically. I didn't want to have to make this drunken fuckwit shut up by reducing them to almost right. tears with my humor. Well, I, I would say honestly, most times I'll I take the blame for it right. because I will go up thinking to myself, I want to work on these things, yeah. these particular jokes. And then I get up there and do something completely different that's in the moment. Sure. Whether it be the audience me having to, you know, fight a heckler or me just feeling the vibe and sure, being sure, in the sure. moment. I'm yeah. very in the moment. And yes, sometimes it's hard. Um, you have to be, you know, you have to be uh, not dedicated. You have to stay with, you have to stay the course a little bit. Yeah. And, kind and of, I don't, I play. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with so you. At the the end improv of the, elements can sometimes be the most fun parts. Right. Of I'm it, drawn then, into doing that. Yeah. And I maybe, when you're trying to get a tight five for a late night show though. Right, I've got to give that new five. It's like, yeah, fuck. But every time I try and record it, exactly, I end up going. So I end up, I end up having a fun set, yeah. and I do what well because I'm in the moment. And I make what I what I can what I can do with it. So yeah. a lot of times it's me. So it's good and bad. It's good to be like, yeah, you're improv. You're great in the moment, but sometimes you're gonna you want to really work on jokes and add tags and all that sort of thing. And yeah. I do think that I can write more jokes. And I can definitely Steve on his bachelor party ruins it. Yeah. Well, you know, we have a, but the, you know, the comedy store does a pretty good job with, uh, I mean, a lot Shutting of, that stuff down? Yeah. You would think, you know, they do. Um, have you ever had a rumble with an audience member? Um, or even a set too? Like I just, uh, just a big argument or something afterwards. Is anyone, cause we were talking earlier about, you know, um, about like, you know, internet trolls and that kind of at the age of that. And I've, I've been on the receiving end of that. And those people often I'll always just invite them to my show and go, come down to the show. Come down to the show and tell me how much of a uh, what I normally get is you know British fag right shit comedian I am. Tell me, come and review it. Come they and won't. watch the show live. They won't because they'll either like the show live or because I'm six four and fucking right, two hundred twenty five pounds. I'm like you know. I had a uh, I did a show around here actually in Hollywood. Yeah. At, it was uh, not a, it was uh, Ramada Inn. They did a show down in the basement, so it was like okay. a bar show that they did every Sunday night, and uh, I would do it. And um, I do a lot of crowd work and all that stuff. So I was doing the show and this guy was talking in the back. He was kind of a part of the show. I would do crowd work, but then he was like talking with his girlfriend and they kept talking. And eventually he like snapped at me. He goes, I'm a 9-11 fireman. And he's like charged at me. Guy charged at me. And because I asked him to be quiet, he was playing around. But then yeah. he, he and his wife or girlfriend, they just kept talking. And it was like, it was a bar, 
yeah. show, but it was a show. Yeah, also, like, go and talk in the other fucking room. And exactly. It's space. Those exactly. people are too much. It's like, why did you bring your comedy to my to my area? It's like, motherfucker, you're in a venue that has booked comedy. That's what's going on in this exactly. space. Exactly. Every Sunday night, Ramada Inn, this is <laughs> what happens. The only person who is ignoring the theatrical location or setting of this particular night. Yeah, and I remember this guy came after me. He was a big guy, and he said he was a 9-11. I'm a 9-11 fireman. You don't yeah. talk to me that way. And he like charged at me yeah. and then people got in the middle and they broke it up. That was a crazy moment where a guy like snapped on me. He and didn't get up on mic and be like, oh, it's always the wrong ones that die in the fires. And it? it's the wrong ones. Yeah. That die. It was, uh, that was a crazy moment where like a guy snapped. Um, and I had situations. So the audience broke it up. The audience broke it up and there was like an improv group trained. <laughs> they were practicing like down in one of the banquet halls and yeah. they all came in to like uh, <laughs> break it up. Yes, and? Exactly. And what was that like, that experience of being in the towers? Yeah. It, that, it's kind of what happened. They all came in. They were like freaking out. Well, they were out. wearing matching ties. Yeah, they were they were doing, uh, they were like eclectic kids. I remember oh, yeah. that. But that, that was a guy where he snapped and went after me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Really haven't had that at the comedy store where a guy charged at me. There's stories of comedians being punched or kicked at or things thrown at the That's comedy normally store. with each other though, isn't it? They're always fucking arguing with each other. Yeah, I've had I mean I've had arguments with comedians, like a handful of guys in the hallway, definitely. Like yeah. at the comedy store, just like young comedians talking back or what have you. Yeah. I've had those moments. But uh How does it work out here? What's the hierarchy, would you say, of the LA comedy scene? Because especially around the comedy store, there feels like there is definitely an, you've earned your right to be in here. These guys are untouchable. These guys are sort of coming up, but they're, you know, still the whipping boys. feels like a motorcycle club. It's like a 1% around <laughs> a lot. I mean, look, yeah, you've got, I mean, Rogan's huge, Sebastian, Joey Diaz, Bill Burr. Ne- uh, never heard of any of them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're like the primetime guys. Yeah. I mean, there's tons more. Sure, Dalia, sure. But those Jeff are guys Ross. that are regularly, you know, the bigger names. Nobody, you know, people people are cool with them. I, I, but when you do late night, when you're, I, I feel like after midnight at the comedy store, it gets crazy. It still yeah. gets crazy. Yeah, yeah. Now, these guys are gone. A lot of the guys are smart. They do their set and they leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're when out by 11 o'clock, yeah. Right. You're there after midnight, you know, because anybody can hang out there. Yeah, and then we have Don Barris, who loves craziness. He's there at late night all the time, sure, and he's sure, got the sure. Ding Dong Show, and he eats. Oh that. fuck! I've been told about this show. Never seen it, but I heard it's one of the best shows at the Comedy Store. It's Someone silly. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been doing that for a long time. I go up there and I drum, and I have uh, a good time with that. Wait, so tell me what the Ding Dong Show actually is, because I don't know what the format of the show is. Is it just a? It's just straightforward stand-up show or no no it's don barris who's the audience warm-up at jimmy kimmel live he had windy city he was a show on comedy central a movie okay and he's got the big three podcasts he's funny but don likes craziness so he's got these these characters that come down some of them are mentally off some of them are they're usually a little off some more off than others who sang before rose battle um, I went down to do the stand-up show before the, the actual battle. Yeah. And then they had this woman at the beginning of Rose Battle come in who was a black lady who looked like a Tina Turner impersonator, but was definitely, definitely smoking a huge amount of crack. That was a man. Is it a man, is it? In Boone. drag? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Boone, well, Boone Shakalaka. Yes, yes. Yeah, Boone. And got up and did, like, lip-synced really badly a Tina Turner routine. Yeah. And then we were like, all right. That was fucking cool. Right. And, then, and then just walked out the back. 
that's the kind of that's the that's the kind of element. Those are the kind of characters that are welcome at the comedy store. I like that. So Don gives those guys and gals a place to go up and play. Oh, guy gals. So yeah, exactly. And Don, I see there's a method to his madness, and probably rubs some people the wrong way. They sure. may feel like, oh, he's making fun of these guys, but they like being a part of it. Well, it's like the guy on the roast battle um, who has really like quite severe Aspergers. I think he's mildly autistic or like very severe yeah, Josh. Aspergers. Josh, but he fucking loves being part of that show. He jumps around with his shirt off. If anyone's watched the TV series, you'll see him in that as well. And he always writes yeah. battle on his belly and it's always hanging out. His boobs are bouncing around everywhere. But he autistic fucking thunder. loves him. Autistic thunder, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I would, I'll always say to guys that if you're new to town or if you're just lonely and yeah. you're looking for the some sense of a community yeah, or you're, you want to kind of play yeah. Don Barris, the ding dong show, or even just a late night spot in the original room. You can play in there. Yeah. That sounds fun. And you can get your little one liners in, you can get your jokes in and be sure. a part of it. Like for me, I but like, also do something a little bit more weird and out there as well. It's a, it's an opportunity to play around more. You're playing. You're, yeah. it's, it's a play. Don likes to play. It's like yeah. wrestling. So for me, I go up there, I get to play the drums. He has yeah. a, he has like a band. So we have this like, band where we uh will play uh you know the different songs and put on a whole concert we, nice. we had been doing that for like a few years are you a proper drummer um not really to be honest no i don't you, get behind when the you're, kit when you're playing are you like keeping uh yes a proper i keep beat, beat. oh okay, yeah. yeah 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 i keep beat i'm, I'm pretty good at drumming right. in, in terms of that so i play the chairs and so don loves doing this uh the band he has a name for the band barris kennedy overdrive used to be barris brody overdrive so it's just a part of again like I, that's why i like the comedy store it's a gym you can go there and yeah. go you know there's it's open every night till two o'clock and then some and it's a place to play Dude, and you should be doing that fucking pr i'm already be, right? so I, I, here's the thing i, I think there's a, a quite a big disconnect or at least we profess there's a big disconnect within the comedy community between East Coast and West Coast. You know, New York comics always going, oh, fucking LA comics. And LA comics out here always going, oh, fucking New York comics. And the kind of... But there's a lot of similarities. Like the comedy cellar is my home, but I see quite a lot of similarities with the store and the way that it is. It's just on a, a bigger and more set-built scale. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, it's yeah, physically bigger. Physically we have the bigger, big parking lot. Has, has the same elements, which is the more established comics who are past there standing around in a certain area or in the cellar, it's sitting around that table. Correct. Kind of bitching about the world and blah, 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 blah. Then you've got the, all the fucking noobs hanging out and trying to be seen and, oh, hey, God, oh, hey, what's up, Brody? How you doing? Right, right. Oh, I'm a comic too in a little bit, you know. And then you've got the fucking, you got the staff who are cunts and the staff who are really nice. The manager is a nice guy. The manager, you know, arrogant act who always comes in and acts like a piece of shit. It all happens there. But I do feel like more than New York and East Coast and having worked both circuits yourself mm -hmm. like regularly, um, I feel like there's more desperation in LA and that makes people not want to be nice to each other. They want to shit on each other as soon as they walk out of a room. They want to put each other down. They want to exert some kind of uh, the hierarchy. There's more sense of the hierarchy maybe in LA I've found so far. Um, and maybe because I'm I bottom mean, of the, I'm bo more bottom of the pecking order out here, you know, or middle maybe, but I'm certainly not, you know. Yeah, I mean, guys. there could be that. I, I, I mean, I lived in New York f for three years, sure, and I barked at the Comedy Cellar. I yeah. was passed at Stand Up New York. I did a lot of Lower East Side shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did live out in New York, and I know the Comedy Cellar scene. The L.A. scene, I think, in general, 
um, comedians tend to, actually, I think they tend to be a little more supportive. Really? Okay. That's be- interesting. I, I think also because there's a lot of acting gigs out here. People are dealing with a lot of, uh, you know, you know, no, like you rejection. Know, yeah, rejection. Rejection. Yeah. Exactly. So they're very supportive. They're very into Runyon Canyon, very into meditation, very into eating properly. Yeah. You know, and a lot, and there is a lot of, Hanging out, schmoozing. There is that sort See, of that's thing. That's the bit I suck dick at, man. All the all the healthy stuff, hiking and eating healthy and all that. You know, all I do now is smoke a little weed. I don't even drink anymore mm-hmm. now. And, you know, I'm trying to get super fit, but right. it's but it's the other side that I'm, I feel like this. This is the biggest city with so many people crammed into one place. Who the majority of which, and I think this is true of a lot of acts as well, seem very lonely. They seem like they don't. Because you're not allowed to show weakness in this town. You have to always be, yeah, I got a project and I got a script and I'm doing a YouTube series and I got a fucking podcast. And well, things are so great right now. It's like, yeah, but also you're still driving for Uber Eats and trying to pay your fucking rent this month. That's a that's the story for a lot of people. Right. Um, and then even the ones who made it, it's like everyone in the town, you have the constant fear when you're at a certain level in comedy in this town, which you're certainly at and all the names that you mentioned prior are at, where you have to always be a little worried about what does this person want from me? What do they want out of me? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, look, I yeah, you could... That's out there. I mean, you could tap into that, that, that... Oh, I can't do that shit. I can't do that fucking schmoozing and pretending like I like people to get ahead. Like, I just... I have real... real But it's... I I look at it as... I mean, they they call it schmoozing, but I call it just... I like it to be social. Okay. Going out to be, I'm, I mean, like you said, I'm a friendly guy. Sure. So sometimes, uh, more so back in the day, but I still go out to like show my face, say hello. I mean, I'm, I, I, I do that because I like doing it. Okay. I'm also. You look at it as just like a lifestyle choice to just be nice to people because why the fuck not? It makes you feel better to be nice. Yeah, I've always been like a nice guy. And I think also I have an advantage in a sense that I grew up out here. And you're also, you have the advantage that you're also more established. You know, you're, you, 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 I'm, like I say, man, I look through your, through your resume, dude, mm-hmm. and just, you've done it. You've got a huge body of work behind you and you're already very close with. Um, a lot of other brilliant acts. So you're on people's radars. I'm on as, their ra- yeah. He's talented. We know he does great acting. We know he's very funny on stage. We know he can do warm up. Like, you don't have to worry. You've got nothing to prove. When you've got nothing to prove, it's easy to be nice to people. Yes. And I think it's harder to be nice to people when people don't even know if they want to be nice back to you. You know, I but try. It's, but it's sometimes like, I, again, I also played baseball, hmm. so I know what it's like to be the new guy. I went to Arizona State. Sure. I'm a Jewish guy. I'm goofy. I'm going out to play baseball in Arizona, surrounded by Aryans and Christians, and they're not used <laughs> to being around. Straight up fucking Aryans everywhere. Yeah, they're not used to being around like a goofy Jewish guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I went out there, and I was a popular guy on my team, I wasn't like, I mean, people, I wasn't like, a total star, but guys liked me. Sure. So when I went out there and these players are giving me a hard time and some of the coaches being negative, negative to me, I was saying to myself, like, I'm, I, I come from like a good, good background. I'm that, that's not me. That's on them. Sure. That's the way I felt. And I really took like a beating my first semester at Arizona state back in fall of 1988. I mean, they like beat me down to the point where, you know, emotionally, emotionally, is- emotionally, or just like, um, you know, just to like weed guys out, yeah, weed yeah. guys off the team. And I felt like I came out here 
to uh, be a part of the baseball program, get get out of the get out of Los Angeles and the San Fernando Valley. And I went out there and I just stuck it out. And then I ended up my uh, I ended up like my freshman year. I really went from my lowest lows to my highest highs. Do you think those experiences transpired to comedy then? So you, what you're saying is almost by running the gauntlet you know, of being the newborn on a team set you up for comedy. So yes. when you started at somewhere like the store or you're trying to get past there and whatnot, you're like, all right, this guy's been a bit of a fucking asshole to me, but I understand he's just bull busting. He's trying to put me in my place. Exactly. So Playing I, baseball I, did that for me. My fear is that I might be too sensitive for comedy, if I'm honest. Oh, really? Yeah, man. It really fucking hurts me when people profess to be nice to me or pretend like they, you know, they, they, are helping me in any way you know like i go oh yeah man oh, i saw you perform dude you're great and i'm gonna fucking and then i find out they shit talk me like later. why like, are they why are they insecurity oh i understand insecurities it's their insecurities but how do you know they're, they're threatened how do you know they're talking negative about you? oh because you know you turn up to a venue and then someone who is your friend actually goes like oh man i you know or i go mention someone they go oh that guy's a fucking arsehole dude now nah, he said shit about you as well it's something like please don't give that guy energy you know you know, however I, you found out about, I'm it, sure you know. like people, have, or just their, their their behavior, their behavior, simply their actions can sometimes make you go, oh, you're not, you're not this nice person. You're keeping that up because that's the public profile that you need to have in this industry. And I can't do that, man. It fucking hurts me every time that shit happens. I'm like, oh, but I don't, I don't think, I, I think in this, if you want to like say industry, I think it's as a comedian, it's like, be funny, and be nice. Yeah. Now you got to be like, yes. Yeah, sometimes you got to ask for things. Sometimes you got to put your foot down. Yes, I get that. But I think if you, I've been able to survive for twenty years. Yeah. With that approach. And you fuck. You hate most people. We told <laughs> off camera. You told yeah, me that. Yeah, I hate everybody. Hate everyone. I was always a nice guy. Yeah. I got picked on for being a nice guy. Yeah. You know, growing up, I remember what the a same fucking f- lunatic concept that you can get. Picked on by people for being too nice. I did. Growing up where <laughs> yeah, I grew up. Isn't that up, funny? That's such a serious, like a w- ridiculous concept. Yeah. But I learned that. Fucking stop being yeah. nice to me. You stop fucking saying nice things about me. How fucking dare you be so positive in my fucking space, yeah. man. But here's the deal. You make me feel good about myself. See? And that's wrong. <laughs> that's what it is. That's literally there what they're go. doing, right? There you go, Jeff. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's like now, because comedy's popular. Yeah. And... I people want to do comedy mm. and I, I feel like so many and, I, and, I, and I and I've established like my voice my character I have a body of work yeah absolutely so I feel like it validated and protects me also and helps me continue to be a nice guy and how do I get that by being nice and being funny yeah man that's the main thing and that that's what I and then also people go I can't get on that show I go just then do other shows. Yeah. People will talk. Word gets out. Now, I do know because of the way we are now with podcasting and social media, things have changed a little bit in that sense. Yeah. But I, I'm i into like, you do the work, funny will, people will come now. to you. Of course, man. Of course. But people want to, how do I get on that show? How do I do this? Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. And I, I booked, you know, I did a, I ran a, a show in New York City and people like, you don't like getting... People asking, can I be on your show? Can I be on your show? Can I be on your show? It's could be, you know, could be annoying at times. Of course, man. So well, there's an element of like that. I think the business side of it is reasonably 
if you've got that business acumen, you will know how to approach it. Sometimes it is okay to send a little email and say, hey, I'm new in the town. And, you know, I used to do these spots in this place, which are good. And mm-hmm. here's a little tape. If you've got time to have a look at it, I'd love to come do your spot at some point. That's okay. But, you know, begging for spots, it's very different. And you're right. Word of mouth is what where all my workers come from. You do something good. They go, oh, fuck, man, you should be on my show. And then you do that show. And then they tell right. someone else. And then... Um, but I do think there's a, I don't know, I, I just wonder if, I, I guess my overarching question was like, is there, is there a space for sensitive, real sensitivity? Yeah, the alternative honest scene. honest sensitivity in comedy. The alternative scene. Yeah. That's funny. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I, I, me personally, I do a lot of the alternative rooms. Yeah. I like it. I feel like in, they're, they're there to laugh. You get paid, you get, and a hug. You get paid, you get a hug. And yeah. you can kind of like, again, I grew up here. Yeah. So I know the secrets. Yeah. And then when you get in, like, what the fact the, that I would... What are the secrets, Brody? What are the secrets of Los Angeles? I'll tell you one day. On a hike. a cavern of catacombs underneath the city. I, no, there is uh, some satanic stuff here. Oh, yeah. There's a church of Satan, right? I think that's here. But just I'd like love to the, go and check that shit out. I think that'd be interesting. But just, like, certain buildings, certain... Uh, you know, uh, certain... Like, even, like, Griffith Park Observatory. And, I, I hike that all the time. Yeah, there's this stuff going on. There's energies. Yeah. I believe in that whoa, stuff. Whoa, whoa, hang on. Tell me about the energies. This is interesting. What, what's up at Griffith Observatory? Like, what are we seeing? Um, is this something you know about or something you felt? Something I know about. Okay. You know, but just like, just certain type of buildings. Please tell me it's like fucking people in hoods meeting at like midnight. Well, there's a tunnel that goes under Griffith Park. There's a Griffith Park tunnel that's really? been featured in movies, Back to the Future, Part two, I believe. And can then, you can you walk it, or is it it's it's outbound? This is a private property, is it? I think you can walk it. I think. I mean, again, this is all tied into like weird. Um, I'm not gonna say satanic, but weird Illuminati. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Illuminati, and also like weird, like Masonic buildings that are like Masonic. Is that the word I'm looking yeah, for? Yeah, the Masons. Yeah, I'd love. I dude, I'd love to join the Masons. Oh, you would? Yeah. I'm not a fan of, and you know, fucking, I'm not going to knock anyone's things as long as the tenets of what you believe are about being good to one another. But, you know, Scientology, for instance, is very p- prominent in this town. Yeah. You know? And fuck me in Hollywood, especially in the acting side of my business, not good to shit talk Scientology. They seem to have quite a hold, a hold of right. sway and power. But I do think, fuck it, I don't give a shit. I, I think it's a cult, man. It's a cult. And it's like, you know, taking quite sus- people who are susceptible to need something to believe in, to need. To fi- this is a town of desperate people. And if you can say to someone, for the right price, I can give you the tools to believe in yourself so much that you will overcome any obstacle. What an attractive thing to a bunch of <laughs> predominantly creative softies running around going, I should be well known around the world for my talent. You know what I mean? It's an easy sell. Whereas Masons, that's literally just, that's just a whole load of old rich white guys sitting around going, hey. Hey, we got a you got a pin? I got a pin. Yeah, here's here's the handshake, blah blah blah. Oh. And then touching the old leg. And then suddenly you get fifty percent off your fucking car insurance. What? There you go. <laughs> Could That's use that. dope, man. Cheaper than Geico. What's that? You wanna you wanna get a part in that movie? Yeah, there's a fucking handshake. Suddenly you got a part in the movie. Dude, I'm all about that, Brody. I wanna be a Mason so bad. Oh, you do? Well, I just need to offer them something. You have to be able to offer a skill set, right? But you know, but but it's like they talk about Laurel Canyon. You yeah. know, they say it's haunted. There's built haunted houses, and people have channeled into that energy. Why and, do they create? Maybe that's a story to cover up something else that's there. Yeah, and then you, they say the comedy store's haunted. You know, it's known as a haunted building. The number of careers that have died on stage there, probably. 
Yeah, there's, but I mean, back in the day, it used yeah. to be uh, Ciro's, which was like a mobster hangout. Oh, re- well, that oh. that venue was a mobster. Yeah, Ciro's wow. was like a big, uh, you know, big uh, nightclub back in the day. When so. did that actually take over as the the venue? What were we talking? It's like 1930s, 1940s. Are we talking? Well, I think the Comedy Store started in '73. Oh or 75, wow, way later. I thought it was way before that. Okay, but that building. There's a lot of history in that building, and yes, it's people talk about how I haven't seen that sort of thing but there's like a haunted element i mean if it was a mafia hangout then i'm pretty certain a few people took a couple of bullets to the skulls in there that's what i'm saying yeah Yeah. so there's there's that sort of thing and then you have the you know laurel canyon then you had like charles manson stuff going on up in near tabanga yeah Yeah, uh, spawn ranch i saw his old um i saw his old ranch i went up there i was dating a girl who lived up there and she took me up to see the ranch yeah I used to, yeah, I lived out in the valley, Simi Valley, when I was a yeah. kid. So I used to like drive past that. But. So you believe you have a you have a spiritual side? Then you believe in the entities like ghosts? You think we have some kind of an energy that lives on once we once we die, once the mortal coil is gone? I tend to think that. I mean, I would call myself spiritual. Yeah, I I think that Hollywood. How did it end up here? It's just a you know with the with the ocean, the mountains, the desert. Yeah. And there's just a lot of weird stuff that goes on. And then Fuck I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. seeing ties in again. I do. You mentioned Illuminati. I think there's something to that. And I also feel like there's something with all the symbolism. Wealth, all the wealth in the, uh, in the world is owned by, what, four, four or five families? Globally? Yeah. yeah, like yeah. the Rockefellers. Yeah, exactly. And and there's, a, there's, a, there's a Tsarist. Well, JP Morgan is owned by a parent company that's owned by another parent company that owns yeah. you know every law firm or every advertising firm in the world, you know. But yeah, there's like four, there, four. There's companies something there. there, and I and I feel like at one point, you know, I felt like Hollywood may have been more of a wholesome, for the most part, a wholesome uh, environment, wholesome place, Southern California. And then I got Not like for those I got hijacked. Year old stars who are coming out here going, "I'm going to be a movie star. I'm going to be a movie star." And then you know he ends up, you know, shooting crack up and sending drugs to try and make yeah. his way and she ends up getting raped by a fucking producer, you know, and like difficult to put in a movie. I just think that I grew Hollywood. In, yeah, Holly. I, I, I grew I was around it, but I wasn't in it. Just like being out in the valley and I feel like that was an area that was that the valley see people always put down the valley. Yeah. You know, oh you're from the valley, karate kid, valley. Ooh, you're cheap. You're from the valley. Not if you want to get anything done to your car. That's where you go. You go to the valley. Fucking valley mate. But I grew up here, and it kind of like didn't feel good. Mm. I, I would go to Santa Monica, and my friend would say, "Like, go to the beach. Don't tell him you're from the valley." So, wait, what year were you born? And when? 1970 in 19, the valley. So, okay, fuck. So, when you got to about, let's say, from t- 1980 onwards, is when you have really visceral memories of what LA was like at that time. Mm-hmm. How was it? How was it a different city? Like, what was 1980s Hollywood and LA compared to I what mean, it is now? Hollywood was seedy. Back then, really, yeah, Hollywood was like a place was like it's seedy again, somewhat, but it was seedy. Again, I was what drugs, sex, you know, prostitution, drugs. Yeah, like I would walk. I would be once. I remember my dad took me down Hollywood Boulevard one time, and I remember like some guy tried to steal my watch. Yeah, I remember feeling that, and it was yeah, it was just known as like a seedy place. Isn't that funny? Because obviously, being a Brit. Everywhere around the world, Hollywood is sold because of the movie movie studios and obviously the movie business out here. It's sold as this like 
Rodeo Drive, big palm trees. Everyone's walking around like, it's Hollywood, darling. And people were taking photos of each other and looking like Hollywood starlets and, you know. Maybe on a block or two. <laughs> That's it. And also, it's also like a set. It might look like that. And then you look behind it and then there's like a homeless guy shooting crack into his fucking penis because he's run out of veins anywhere else. Right, there you go. You know. Um, uh, yeah, again, I was... I was I, I was so lucky, I feel, to be in the 80s out here. The Lakers were popular. Dodger baseball was popular. The Rams were popular. The Raiders were popular. It was clothing, just a, clothing you know, you had the Valley Girl. It was a very sunshiny, happy place. Going to the beach was nice. Um, it was just like a different kind of place. And I, I, I grew up in that, but I would go to the beach and they would say, like, don't tell them you're from the Valley. And I was thinking, like, I'm a, I'm a good guy. I have to lie to these these kids who live because in Santa Monica. Because they would look Monica. down on you because you were from the Valley. Correct. Wow. And and that bothered me because yeah. I'm a nice guy. I got to lie to who I am. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. So that was always like uh, inbred in me a little bit. And and then people putting the Valley down. And then as I when I moved back out here in 2000 and I was living in the Valley and I started to see like people you know, live out in the Valley. They all, A lot of the comedians live in the Valley. All these TV productions are in the Valley. A lot of the studios are in the Valley. And to me, it was like a lie. It was yeah, like, yeah. you're lying. Yeah. And that's when, you know, it started, the politics started coming out and, you know, with this Trump and 2000, you know, crazy politics. And I was saying like, these people are saying stuff, but they're lying about the Valley. Yeah. And, and they go, you know, I'm in the Valley. You have me work on... If I'm such a bad guy, I'm in the Valley and I work on your I shows. See, I want to see you run for office of like... I want to see you like... Was it, was it governor? What was, what was Arnold Schwarzenegger? He was governor. Governor. I'd love to see you become governor of California, dude. That'd be... You oh. could, even as just a com, as a comedy, uh, you know, story, I think that could be... A, what a wonderful... What a wonderful like comedy documentary that could be. You know? I would... Brody Stevens, you know, vote Brody Stevens. And it's just... And it's you doing a whole campaign and getting into it. And it could be quite heartfelt. It could be you exploring these parts of LA that you love, the places that you love that might be overlooked because everyone just thinks of Los Angeles. Oh, it's Hollywood, isn't it? It's Hollywood and that, right. that area. But there's so much more going on here. Anthony Bourdain did that with his show, you know, um, not Parts Unknown. Where is it Parts Unknown? Maybe in Parts Unknown where he did one episode about Korean street food mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. And he went into the history of Koreatown and how during the big riots in the 70s and 80s, there were yeah. huge riots, right? Uh, in fact, the 80s, there was huge riots. The, uh, the end of the 70s? They had riot, Well, they had the Watts riots. That was in the 60s. And then they had the riots in the 90s. Oh, okay. So it was probably the 60s one. And and all the shop owners, uh, Korean shop owners in Koreatown, because it was the places were getting fucked up by marauding hordes. And so they all like stood on their rooms. They're building with guns and just like, leave our fucking stores alone. We will shoot. And they had to protect because the police never came down. But anyway, that educated me to some a part of Los Angeles that I've never experienced and never could because I was a fucking child, you know, in yeah. England. But that would be a really interesting story because it could be very heartfelt. It could be very funny. You could do a whole set about it. And then also... You'd be doing something that you're kind of passionate about, which is this place. I mean, I'm. But what if you I, win? I, what if you win? Then you'd have to. <laughs> then you'd have to fucking do I'd it. I'd have to do it. I mean, I probably have a couple skeletons in the closet too. Myself, who knows? Not many actually. That's all right. But I, I don't. I don't have solutions. Yeah. I don't know what the solution is. I just know that the '80s in the Valley, and even the Valley today, somewhat there is uh, a lot of good coming out of there. Yeah. A lot of it, you know, pot, porn. Um, um, production, like a lot yeah. of the studios, the three piece, the three piece, popcorn and production, all in the valley. Yeah, 
And I, I, I just think that for me, just the, you know, being, I've just seen, I've seen too many results yeah. being positive. Yeah. I've seen too many results and I've been able to apply those to cool things, like to be a part of the comedy store, yeah. to be a part of, you know, some successful TV shows, a successful movie, successful baseball programs, major league baseball teams. And people say, well, how does, how do you get to do that? Being positive. Yeah. Well, and, and also talent though, Brody. There's a, there's a big part, like positivity will carry you so far. Correct. Um, But you didn't get onto a, you know, a baseball team or get scholarship to college for baseball because you were just a nice guy. Maybe you would have been the, the water boy if you were a nice guy. You got there because you were a pitcher and you were talented at what you did. You're you're on the st- uh, stage at the comedy store, not because you're just a nice guy. You're there because you're a really good comic. So it's- well, I, I'm, I do say I'm lucky in that people think I have a funny face and I could probably I have a funny voice maybe or funny gestures. Take, takes you that far. That takes you that far, I think. If you don't have talent to back it up, you know. But when you... I, I just do feel like when you when you... When you put out that energy, sure, you got to put out energy. Yeah, it comes back to you twofold. Often. And I've seen, I've seen. I mean, I, I hung out with the Yankees back when they were winning all these. You know, because baseball is very mental. Yeah, baseball's mental. Baseball's emotional. You're dealing. You're also- oh, hang on a second. I think you turned your mic off there. Let me oh, I did. Yeah, because it's flashing. It should be just a solid red. Is it on a solid red mm-hmm. now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, being, being around being around the Yankees and being around winning pro- programs, I saw how how being positive helps because baseball you're dealing with failure. Three out of times you fail. Three out of ten times you, you consider you're good if you're a hitter. Sure, sure, sure. So, and I, and I would always say, well, people don't care about you know who cares about baseball, but when you win in baseball, you could help out other people, brother. Also, that's like the isn't that the most uh, baseball players have the long, biggest longevity of sporting careers in this country? They make the most money. They the the destitution of major um, sport athletes is like minuscule in baseball, whereas in everything else, mm-hmm. the number of people who have drink, drug problems, debt up to their eyeballs once they come out of the game. You know, especially if they have an injury, young. I just like I feel like it's they crazy. say you know baseball's America's pastime. We were talking about like sure. being American. I feel like there is a sense of a passion, like an f yeah, we do it, we lead the it's way. It's very woo America as well, though. I'm gonna say this is a Brit. We fucking I love a sport that plays right, so you can watch it and you're caught up in the action. Mm-hmm. Fucking American football and baseball, it feels like one tiny thing happens and then it's. Bam, 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 bam. Fucking hot dog t-shirt. Beers over here. Blah, blah. Here's the kiss cam. And coming up today, you win a car. It's like f- I'm watching a TV show. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. 22 minutes of material in the show, but it's four, uh, 38 minutes of fucking adverts. That's what it feels like. Whereas ice hockey, man, that's what I want to get into. People like hockey. It's popular. <laughs> and they beat the shit out of each other like gentlemen. They throw the gloves off. And come on, let's put up the Dukes. And then when someone hits the ice, they're like, all right, it's done. I love that shit. I think that's 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 gonna be my sport, man. You like hockey? I I have never seen a game, but I feel like apart from on the television, but I think that has motion and momentum. In the same way we talked about comedy, that you have to keep the show going. As a good MC, you got to keep it rolling, keep the energy up in the audience. Yeah, I I just like baseball pitching, like striking guys out, getting up there and having this guy like well, you have a passion for this the guy, playing, right? Yeah, this guy digging in. I'm, I wasn't into strategy. I wasn't into. 
strategy of the game. Okay, yeah, I was yeah. into like I, trying to strike this guy out or get you know get him out. Ten it's strike, like one ten on strike one. games, man. You, you you're getting ten batters out a game. Yeah, a few times. I've I've seen the scores, and it's like to see those guys dig in. And they're like looking at you, and it's like you're trying to make me look bad. I'm going to make you look bad. Yeah. F you. So I pitched with like passion. Now I don't, I can't do comedy that way. I was going to say, have you taken that kind of um, competitive nature into comedy? Not that's that's no, not, that's I not can't play so much. No, I have to be a little more subtle, a little more not subtle, but a little more you know pace myself a little bit. But yeah, like baseball, just a lot of it was like you know Americans, we like to throw stuff. It's yeah. about throwing. In baseball, you're throwing it, and I, I was, I was just into that, and I felt like, I, and when I, and I could talk about baseball because I feel like baseball represents a little bit of America. You talk yeah, about yeah, baseball, yeah. it's code for America. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the most, uh, one of the most identifiable things with America, isn't it? Yeah. Because if you go on Twitter and you're talking about American stuff and you're not mentioning baseball, it's like, eh, you yeah, you know, you might get some pushback. But if you're putting baseball stuff up, and it's that's I try how to tweet as a Brit, that. I'm going to preface all of my jokes about America now with that guy. Whoa, how about them Redskins? But anyway, yeah, see the what is with Trump's <laughs> opinion on this? That's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to set it up with like a weave a po- it in a positive baseball message, followed up by you know. But I learned, I learned about when I was at Arizona State. I learned about visualization, meditation, and I couldn't really. I was my mind was too active. I I couldn't grasp that, but I can grasp being positive, like putting out positive words. You couldn't say you like you meditate. Then you don't meditate now. Do you? Not really. Like okay. Meditate in the shower, maybe. But okay. <laughs> I would be. You know, you don't want to say don't strike out. You want to say get on first base, get a hit. You don't want to. You didn't. We never brought up negative words. It sure, was sure, always sure. positive, and then it was hustling at Arizona State. You had a run on the mound, sprint off. You had a sprint everywhere, yeah, hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're hustling, you're bringing that energy. Even if it's fake at first, it could be fake hustle, but you're hustling. You're, you're, um, and it's, it's interesting. It's not interesting. It's obvious that you would echo um, and have parallel thought to this guy. But uh, Seth Green came on a podcast um, last month, mm-hmm. and he said a very similar thing. But in slightly different words, which was effectively, you know, you are the you are the solely responsible for keeping your own momentum going creatively, and also in terms of how people want to work with you and how they like you in the industry, and uh, that really spoke to me. That was that was something that really spoke to me. And you just you just echoed that. You just said the same thing that you know that is really that hustle. I'm 34, man. I'm not uh, no spring chicken, mm-hmm. but I'm also like a younger guy, and I'm very new here, like one mm-hmm. year into being in LA and three years in America. And, uh, and I feel like that. I'm going, oh, I think I work so hard and it's so tiring and blah, blah, blah. But fuck it, I make people laugh for a living. All the other bullshit with this podcast that I have to do outside of it, I still get to have an hour, an hour and a half conversation with someone interesting and laugh and joke and talk about interesting stuff that's not necessarily funny. Yeah. Um, very few people get to do that. And I, I forget that you got to fucking remember that there is work element to it. There is work to comedy, isn't there? Oh, yeah. You got to write jokes. You got to listen to your sets, which I don't always do. You got to take that notebook and write it down. Yeah, there is there is work. But outside of those archetypal staples, I'm talking like all the other stuff as well, which is be nice to people. Make sure you're finding out, oh, who's the new guy on the spot? Or let me say hello. Let me introduce. Or, you know, blah, blah, blah. How do I, what is that person into? Let me have a conversation with them about that. I can't do I can't do too much of that. And I need to learn I mean, to f- overcome that cynicism maybe. Yeah. I mean, for me, it kind of came naturally. 
but I saw the results from it. So if I can share with these guys, look, yes, it, maybe it comes naturally for me, but if you try, it can work. And then I've had enough people come back to me who say, Brody, I did do it and it, and it worked. Yeah. Same thing. Alex Super said that. He said, as soon as he started to just be a conduit of positivity and playfulness and light, lightness, he said all these great things happened to him over the last year that he felt really blessed about. Where do you think that positive came from? Was that instilled in you in the family home? Was this just... That's what Brody was like as a little boy, just growing up. You're always just a conduit positivity. Or is it something you had to learn at a, at a pivotal moment and apply to your life? I think I was a nice kid. I don't know if I was like positive, but okay. I was I was a nice kid. Yeah. And I smiled. And that's why I got picked on by other, like growing up. I remember specifically growing up in my apartment building, which was like a lot of divorced parents and a lot of kids, you know, kids would play back then. That could have forced you to go the other way. You know, if you're being picked on for being nice, that could have been a moment where you went, oh, I'll be mean then and I'll be a bit tough and I'll be a bit more. I, I continued to be nice, but it, it definitely didn't help my confidence. It didn't make me feel like, oh, I'm a funny guy. I'm going to perform. And it made me, didn't give me confidence to what, be getting what, picked on. What kept you nice though? Do you think it was the nature of that's just who you are or the nurture of, family or was there a particular person that made you go listen Brody you have to kill anger with kindness you know um well I think I was good at baseball once I started playing baseball getting opportunities and being on teams it's like yeah they I'm on teams they seem to I mean this was more before I started playing baseball I just specifically remember when I was a kid like in third fourth fifth grade or what have you getting picked on for being nice but when I started playing baseball and having some success being a pitcher and then getting asked to play on different teams. Well, that makes you popular anyway. Just being, just being, being, uh, I think, a very, very uh, synonymous with childhood is if you're good at sport, you're a cool guy. Right. But I didn't feel it. You yeah. know, even like comedy, I don't feel it. I'm surprised when people come up and go, I know your stuff. I think you're funny, this and that. It's like, I appreciate it, but really? I, don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, same thing with baseball. I remember like I was at Arizona State and you would tell somebody you played baseball and go, oh, you must be, you must be one of the best because it was a top program. Sure. I just never felt that way. I never felt like I was special. That's why I want to know where that comes from. Because you are special, man. You are very different. You're very unique as a performer as well. So Mm -hmm. you not only have all the facets of being good at the job, you also stand out as different. Plus, you're fucking big and you've got the beard and very expressive face. So those all things will help. But um, is that... I I, I don't know, man. I I have very low self-worth. Even if people tell me, oh, man, you're great. I always go, oh, well, I could have done this better. Or, you know, I don't really feel like... And I know where that comes from. That's a desperation to try and... um, uh, impress my parents it just <laughs> okay. comes out of childhood of doing very great and then unless it was 100% in everything being told that was no good mm-hmm. 95% why'd you what would you lose 5% on so did you have something like that or is it just um I think that again like I think the sports Arizona State I keep going back to yeah, that but what stopped you from feeling this is what I'm saying is when okay. people say to you now you're a great comic I've said it three or four times. Every time I say it, you're kind of like, I can see a little part of you is like, oh, I don't know if I believe what he's saying about me. And you've already said that sometime when they come and compliment you on your talent, you find it hard to take those compliments. Right. Um, well, I do appreciate it. I do accept your compliments. <laughs> so, it's, I thought, thank you. And I mean, I, I get I get moody sometimes. I'm not like a big laugher too. I mean, I'm real. Like I'm not laughing at everything. You yeah, know, it's yeah, like yeah. I'm kind of like in my own space. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm not perfect. Who is? We all, no, we're all sinners. Not, 
Um, I know. I think you just keep doing it. You keep doing it, and then you do build up somewhat of a resume. And you go, hey, you know, I did do this. I did yeah. do that. Or, or just the sheer fact of working. Once I when I did my first TV spot back in two thousand on the Craig Kilborn show. Yeah, and they the Late Late Show on CBS, and I got paid for being on TV. Yeah, six years in. At that point, it kind of like made me feel like, oh, this is real. Like somebody's actually paying me money. And I'm on TV. Yeah, man. So that was a big, big, like, step for me in terms of believing. And then doing the audience warm-ups, all these for different shows, for all the Fox sports shows and doing it for Chelsea Lately and Comedy Central shows. So that was, like, a big confidence booster. Yeah, they're paying you. They're trusting you with the microphone. They're trusting you with introductions. They're trusting you. So that was a big, whether I liked it or not. Yeah. You're getting paid. You're good at audience warm-up. That's what you're doing. So external achievements give it more. Whereas when, because I, I I know that, I don't know, a lot of comics find it hard to take a compliment, man. That one of the reasons why we have to, and correct me if I'm wrong, this might not be true of everyone. The reason I have to validate myself in front of a room full of fucking strangers of a night and make them have a great time. I need to elevate their moods to a place where they're really fucking happy to make myself feel a little less shitty about myself. Well, I mean, but we were it's, it's a broken it's a broken element to But I got right? I I got into comedy because people said I was funny. I didn't get into comedy because I grew up watching comedy tapes. I'm I wanted, so fucking envious of you. I wanted to play baseball. Yeah. And then when I started hearing and again, I coached in High school football, they kept me around. I had good relationships with my coaches to the point where, why don't you come hang out with the football team? Okay, that showed me something. And then at school, when I was done, when I hurt my arm and I was done playing, they kept me around as a coach. So that showed me that I'm not playing and they still want me around. So there's something. And then if you look at all the baseball teams and probably all sports teams, they all have a mental skills guy. And now they have... You know, sometimes they want comedians around. You look at, uh, you know, the Dodgers would always elevate have, their moods before exactly. Games or yeah, yeah. They'd have Don Rickles around. The Do- the the Yankees had Billy Crystal around. So I, I like I, the idea of you doing warm up in one of the changing rooms. Yeah, I've done that. Oh, really? Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> I've been That's around. Hey, you come here often. Where are you from? What's, it, what's your story? Like? Yeah, and then the fact that I know baseball. I'm not just a comedy guy. Yeah, I, I can play baseball. I can throw the ball. I know. And then to be connected with my friend who I grew up with, who's a baseball coach and a winning coach, and he knows comedy also. So I've been able to like ride that wave of like, I know I'm on to something with mental skills, baseball, positive energy, because it does work. Dude, I need to get... That's why I need to get... What could be mine? What am I passionate about outside of music? I could be like a touring... I could be like John Cooper Clark. Do you know the poet, John Cooper Clark? Not heard of him. Sex Pistols, back in the day, in their heyday, used to have John Cooper Clark open up. And he's this yeah. weird... He looks like a Tim Burton character. You know, kind of very thin little face and white and yeah. pale and big hair all back combed out and skinny little legs in these little suits. And he used to go up and do this very, very activist... Uh, stand up, uh, right. not stand up. It was almost like it was spoken word poetry. But you do that before the shows. It's very late, and they, all these audiences go fuck up, and he was like fucking talking to you about what's going on in the world and blah blah blah. And people would get into it. 
that could be maybe that's it. I could do. I could be like the warm up well, for a band. Well, you know, Bobcat, Bobcat Goldthwait, yeah. he opened up for Nirvana. Seriously, yeah, dude. Like Kurt Cobain loved loved his stand up, so he opened up for the band on the Back road as his character from the Police Academy. I'm Stick. sure he was playing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, going, yeah. Exactly. So comedy and you know comedy and music. You know, musicians want to be comedians. Comedians want to be musicians. So yeah, there's yeah, yeah, de- yeah, yeah, there's yeah, that yeah. definite you know connection there. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, oops, probably hit the mic again. That's all right. Okay, That's all right. I hit the mic. Yeah, I love rock and roll. I would love to like. I would love to be like a drummer in a band, and uh, I don't need to be like some famous comedian guy. Yeah, I like it. I, I think it gives you such a freedom to really uh, flourish creatively because you have zero. It sounds like, or not. You certainly have the ambition and the drive to to continue to succeed in your career, mm-hmm. but you're not doing it to fill some void. And I think that is what is true of certainly of me and maybe of a lot of other comics is that I got to make these people laugh and really happy in their lives because that will take me out of my own (laughs) self-hatred. Isn't that sad? That's such a sad thing to realize about oneself. But that's it. I need to go, please laugh because that validates me. Like, I I mean, I feel that comedy is, I mean, I, I, I I would say it's therapeutic. Absolutely, but I don't use it as therapy. No, because it doesn't heal. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't cure the issue, whether it be mental or whatever, or you know, uh, it could be physical, but you know, more likely than not, a mental thing. Oh, I just lost a family member. I need to laugh. Let me go see some right. comedy. It doesn't stop that you're going to feel hurt about that, but it does. It certainly does cushion uh, an audience's instabilities or, or you know, uh, imbalances. But I, I, the, yes, and more so today. That and, that and I also feel like my comedy today, because the climate we're in with social media, politics, the world, whatever. I feel like my, if you want to say message or my, mm. what I'm bringing to stage is, is, is needed. I yeah. do feel like I'm able to share that in some way. Brody, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think we're coming to an agreement that what we're saying is that professional comedians are effectively the same as doctors and we should therefore be paid the same amount oh yeah doctors get some are i mean some are pay- comedians are making money yeah man well yeah i know there those, are some they're the rich doctors with the fucking lambos and right they, you know i mean they just they just do nip and tucks and you know stretch someone's ass a little bit out so they can feel good about it. they got they're putting implants in madonna yeah those guys fuck those guys i'm talking implants. about we're the we're on the front lines we're down at the la medical do you know what I mean? On a yeah. Friday night when the guy we're in comes that ER, in to the urgent. We're in there. I think... Um, we're in scrubs, covered in blood, urine, piss. If it's been a good night, that's how a good night of comedy finishes, right? Covered in... Yeah. Just fucking all sorts of bodily fluids. See, I, I just say for me, my my goal is like, I don't want a day job. I just want to yeah. keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, I don't need to have the house on the hill. I'm okay with the apartment. Yeah. I don't need to have the billboard. I did have a billboard, but I don't need to have that. <laughs> Didn't but, need it, but it was pretty good. It was pretty dope. It, and it, yeah, it was. It was cool. But And as a comedian, you do want to keep putting out an album or a special. You do want to keep growing sure, somewhat, sure. you would think. Developing your art in some way. Yeah. Um, but I, I did take an acting class. I, n- I never did anything creative really growing up. I did like a talent show once, but I was never did creative. I never said, I want to be a comedian. Now, some people, I mean, I, I liked, 
I liked Hollywood. I liked movies. You know, yeah, it was kind of yeah. cool, but not anywhere. That wasn't what you had your goal set on, your, your mindset. No, on. it was like, it was, it was sports. Then when I was at Arizona State, you know, I was a funny teammate to like, not everyone. I wasn't the class clown. I wasn't the team clown. Okay, but, right. But okay. Mike, they, they like, if you had a brain, you probably liked me or thought it was funny or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wanted to try acting. I wanted to try acting. Okay, I'll give it a shot. Thinking about maybe I could be an actor. Yeah. Was, so my this la- was pre-stand-up as well. Pre-stand-up. Right. This was like 1992, 93 at Arizona State. I had a couple extra electives. So okay. I said, I'll take a comedy class I mean an acting class and I was taking a break from baseball and I was so conditioned to being around baseball two o'clock at the baseball field so this was like a a two o'clock acting class and it was just like oh I'm away from baseball I'm away from that jock humor yeah yeah see that got to me the jock humor being around funny guys who weren't funny yeah guys are trying to be funny and I would be the butt of their jokes or whatever let's pick on Brody it didn't feel good that's why I never wanted to do stand-up in front of my teammates. I didn't feel like I was that funny guy. It'd be funny with my my pitcher friends or whatever. But I took that acting class, and I was trying to... We would do a monologue, and it was, it was okay at it, but they ended up laughing at me when I would mess up. They kept laughing at me. And I did another acting class, and I couldn't do it. It was, like, too serious, but I was still getting some laughs. And I remember that one of the other athletes at the school, we would always like have study hall together. He said, Brody, you should do stand-up comedy. And it just was not on my radar to be a stand-up comedian. Right. I mean, I knew about Dice and I knew about maybe Stephen Wright. That's sure, about sure. it. And I thought, okay, I like comedy, but I also like sports. Yeah. How, and I like, I like sports. And then fate intervened and injured you, right? You got Well, injured. I got hurt. I got hurt and I was done playing baseball. And then when I moved back here to... Los Angeles, 1993. So yeah. I had a baseball background, but I didn't really want to pursue. I, I was done playing physically. Maybe I could go into some kind of coaching. Sure, sure. But I wanted to at least see if I had that comedy bug in me. Sure, sure. So when I moved back here, I probably had like six months of staying at my family's place in the Valley. And uh, I took a... Uh, a comedy workshop at UCLA, okay, which was sponsored by the Comedy Store. So they had UCLA Extension, which was like a learning annex thing. Nice. And I knew that it was taught by Polly. It was Polly Shore's sister who was teaching the class. Okay. And the graduating class was going to take place at the Comedy Store. So I knew early on that the Comedy Store it had a connection with me because it was in your future. Yeah. Well, be, my mom, her boyfriend, my parents were divorced, and her boyfriend lived over in West Hollywood. Right. And this is in the mid-80s. And I would look out on the, the for the balcony, and I would see the comedy store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could just tell there was energy going on there. Even though I wasn't totally into stand-up, I just knew that comedy store, the Sunset Strip, something was happening yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I had the opportunity... It's to, quite a visceral feeling just going around that place. Those lights. Whether you love it or not. Yeah. It certainly does feel a bit like... And... uh I had the opportunity to take that workshop mm-hmm. and I needed structure. I came from like a sports background. And if my mom was, my mom, if it had something to do with school, she'd be more, um, you know, willing to help my mom and my family. I find it so interesting that you did a, an actual course because the form of comedy that certainly I've seen you perform at the at the store is so, feel, feels, I know that, you know, I, I 
done loads of crowd work and emceed as well. So I know that there's certain uh, things that seem like they're random and off the cuff and completely improvised. They're not. They're, they're, they're things that we have in the arsenal. Yeah. But even just your being on stage is so... Not polar opposite, but so far removed from what I imagine a comedy cause would teach. Well, this is how you craft the bit, and here's the tags, and you have your punch, and you can do a callback, and blah. That you do employ those things, but it seems so freeform and so improvised. And over the course of this conversation, you've already said that's what you love to do as well. You love going off into these unexplored territories. Yeah. It's kind of exciting and a bit more dangerous, right? Yeah. Um, that's so funny that, that you would have started. I would have assumed you started just going down to open mics and doing some weird shit, like a bit of a Steve Martin story, you know, although he actually, fucking Steve Martin got taught how to, he learned how to act and how to do comedy. Well, he, he said, worked like at Knott's Berry Farm. Yeah, he, well, he said he sucked, he sucked it at the beginning and then he actually learned, he just studied it like a, almost like a mathematician. Yours is different to that. You didn't, you were funny off the cuff and then. Yeah, they would laugh at me when my, when my jokes would be bad. Right. So like I would say my joke and they and they go, oh, well, I'm funny. And then they would laugh. So I knew that they liked my personality and my in-between joke sure. uh, behavior. So I did that. I did that. I did the, uh, and I was also working on a student film. Okay. I wanted to learn everything about show business. Yeah. I felt like I had a summer to learn everything about show business. So I worked on a USC master's thesis film. So I was setting up lights. I was doing key grip stuff. I was around that. And then I was taking this comedy workshop. And I did the uh, the lights and all that. I knew like I wanted to be the creative guy. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I wasn't ready for that. And I knew I wasn't. And I did my one, we did our graduating class at the comedy store. And I did well. Everyone brought their friends. It was packed in the original room. This is 1993. Nice. So I did it. And I got business cards after. You have an agent. You're, you know, commercial agent. This. I go, okay. I felt like a comedian. So I go, what's the next step? Got to do open mics, right? So like a couple days later, I do an open mic out in the valley. And it was like the complete opposite. Yeah. And I said to myself, I get it. I understand it. I don't want to go this route in my hometown, my neighborhood. I just felt like I grew up in the valley. <laughs> if I'm going to bomb a few times, it's not going to be fucking around here. Yeah. Try out to Santa Monica to do that shit. Yeah, exactly. Somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went back to UCLA and I took a business economy class. I wanted to learn everything about the wow. business. So I learned about contracts. I learned about Who was comedy teaching that clubs. one? Missy Shaw. Actually, it was uh, Danny Robinson, okay. who's like uh, Tiffany Haddish's manager still. To right, this day. okay, yeah. And he um, he told me, he said, you know what? If you want to, you got to leave L.A. You got to get out of here and go to a smaller town and grow. That's good That's good advice. I think, you know, to cut your chops, definitely go somewhere we can get a lot of stage time. and f- Yeah, in be. front of like real people. Yeah, so and I was, come back a bit more of a finished product. Exactly. Would, yeah. And he, uh, he told me, he said, go to a smaller market. And I was just spinning my wheels working at a mall out in the valley. And I was just, I didn't have any crew, no support, no community. And there was the Northridge earthquake that happened in February of, or January of 94. And that was like a sign. And literally like a week after that, and I was researching up to that point, either go back to Phoenix where I had friends, but no real, Phoenix is not the place to like start comedy. Right, okay. They have tons of comedy clubs now. Yeah. But it just didn't give me that energy. And then I had family up in Seattle. And my uncle said, why don't you come up here? We support the arts. Yeah. 
So they had that earthquake. Literally, like a week later, I got in the car and I drove up to Seattle. Yeah. And I stayed with my family up there and I just jumped. I bet rent was fucking cheap. Oh, no, you were staying with your family, were you? I was staying with my family. I was going to say, directly after a big earthquake, I imagine that was a good time to move to yeah. Seattle, wasn't it? Got out. Went to Seattle, yeah. and I just jumped in to the open mics at the Comedy Underground. And, you know, Joey Diaz was up there. Josh Wolf was up there. Craig Gass. Mitch Hedberg was up there. Okay, yeah. And it was Seattle. And I did cable access. I did the open mics. I did the internship for a CBS Sport. I just did it all up there. I found my voice in Seattle. Yeah. And after three years in Seattle, because where you start, it's kind of like that's what they know you as. And I felt like... Just kind of spinning my wheels there, but I wanted more, and I always wanted to go to New York. My buddy got a job with the Yankees. Joey Diaz told me, he said, go to New York. They'll love you out there. I went to New York, and I jumped into the uh, Lower East Side scene. And again, when I moved to New York, these comedians were kind of jerks to me. They weren't nice to me, but because I played baseball, I knew it's just human nature. Yeah, It's not me. It's them. Yeah, see, I'm still trying to learn that lesson, I think, even at 34. I'm, I think this, the last... 24 months have been very instrumental in shaping who I am, but especially the last year, I've learned a lot more about... I've started dressing more flamboyantly. Obviously, not right at this moment because I'm relaxed and we're having a conversation, but I like dressing up flamboyantly. I love that, but that was beaten out of me for those first two years in New York. Oh, yeah. I arrived in sleeveless shirts, who jeans, uh, with my shirt open, with fucking rings on every... big rings on every finger, and I either get the Russell Brand thing because they're fucking lazy and what's the most obvious thing we can say right. to liken you to, but I had like... Comics in New York that I thought were amazing people sitting around the comedy cellar table. Oh, also, I started straight at the comedy cellar. So I got us, they helped bring me over from England. So already rub people up the wrong way. Who's this fucking English prick yeah. coming out here with his long hair and his sleeveless shirts? This faggy looking cunt coming out here, taking, oh, yeah. taking our stage time that it took me 10 years of auditions to get. And uh, fuck, man, they beat that shit out of me. And I started just, all right. Black t-shirt, no fucking rings, just always looking, you know. And then I, lately, I've just gone, actually, you know what? Fuck them. Fuck them, man. They're, it's, it's scared. You know, they're, they're scared of different, of something different and you're something that they can't do. That's, yeah. That's what it is, you know, having that confidence aesthetically as well as on stage. But a lot of it's, yeah. It takes it's, a while to human, learn that, though. It's you human know? nature. It's experience. It's having a little bit of, you know. You, and curbing my sensitivity, dude. That's what I said, you know, like we, I, th I think we, I, I certainly empathize or feel there's empathy because, you know, some of the things you describe, you're clearly a sensitive soul as well. Yeah, too sensitive, of course. But you found a way to compartmentalize that sensitivity. Yeah. I am only just getting there, I think. Yeah, I'm 10, well, I'm 48. Yeah. And I'm figuring it out. But I, I, I worked at the Comedy Cellar, but I barked there. I didn't have the confidence to, like, get that audition yeah. to ask Esty. I was so intimidated. She's and, an intimidating woman. Yeah, and that kind of set me back a little bit yeah. because when I when comedians would come out to L.A. or they saw me perform for the first time, they, oh, I, I thought you just barked at the comedy cellar. So I had to kind of like fight through that. Yeah. But coming out here and just staying with it and knock on wood, working, and uh, it's, you know, it, it does feel good that comedians know me. Absolutely, there, there dude. And not feeling. only know you, like I say, they respect you, you know, uh, the system of events that have led to me being able to have this conversation with you today is seeing you live at the comedy store, absolutely fucking tearing it up on the two occasions I've seen you there. Once with Paul Provenza, like I said, at the back, who was uh, lauding your, your, your praises upon you. And also, actually, um, um, oh, fucking hell. Um, uh, 
Rich um Rich Voss? No, 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 not Rich Voss. Rich. Uh, no, no, um, Rick Shapiro. Uh, yeah, Rick, Rick Shapiro. Shapiro. Great so guy. Rick Shapiro and I met at Edinburgh Fringe Festival and got like a house on fire. And then he had his like second kind of health yeah. issues, you know, when he sort of came off the medication and, for and you know, had his the beginning of his Parkinson's now. And we stay buddies. It's, it's a very interesting friendship where it's hard being friends with any kind of addict. And I know that because I have addictive tendencies myself. But mm-hmm. it's hard because you don't know quite they're there when you they need something and you know yeah but i love rick and uh yeah we saw you perform as well that he was on the same show with you that night actually he went up with a whole load of fucking notes and started throwing them out in the audience and uh there was a there was a whilst you're very different performers there was a similarity in the the um i could see it definitely as a comic the 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 structure of your chaos on stage does that make sense anyway that's what's led you to being here is people saying such lovely things yeah. about you, me seeing proof in the pudding of how fucking talented you are. And uh, I'm glad you, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to say it, man, but we I'm going to wrap it up. I'm, oh no, 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 no. Yeah. But also I'm, I, we're, we're an hour and a half. Yeah. But I'm, I'm glad you didn't, I'm glad you didn't have, I'm glad you got a bit of the ball career to set you up for your comedy career. But you know, as a selfish fan of comedy, as well as a, um, you know, a professional performer of it, I'm glad the baseball didn't work out, man. Because uh, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm sorry. Because uh, you know that would have. I think the comedy world would have been worse off for not having you doing what you do, especially you know places like the comedy store where I think it's it's so so necessary to have acts that have such an identifiable, enigmatic personality. Yeah, you know? I'm, I'm. Yeah, thankful to the comedy store. I'm thankful. Nah, to- motherfucker, they're thankful for to you. I mean, and uh, and so are the audiences, dude. And like UCB, those places, Largo back in the day, even the improv, cable access, podcasting, all all those things. Um, it's funny, like Rick Shapiro. Rick was huge when I lived in New York. Fuck yeah, he was man. doing the Fourth Street Cafe every. Uh, you know that was his thing. Every Wednesday night, he would do these two-hour sets. It was like legendary. Yeah. But I hung out with his brother, Rob Shapiro. Right. Yeah. 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 So Rob gave me a lot of confidence. I would hang out with Rob on. Uh, we would do the uh, Surf Reality on Sunday nights and the Lower East Side, a bunch of shows, and Rob yeah. gave me a lot of confidence about like having a funny face and doing all that. So he was a big influence on me, Rick's brother. Right. And uh, well, I think they're friends again now. Yeah, they're, I know they have like a couple a of years they, relationship. They, I think they came back together a couple of years ago, especially after Rick almost died for a second time. I think they were yeah. like, eh. But uh, yeah, Rick has been super great for, you know, supportive, but it was his brother who I was with originally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And gave me that confidence. And there's like certain guys who like give you that confidence, like, Early on, like in 2000, when I was in that parking lot at the comedy store, to have Joe Rogan come up to me and say, you're funny, keep doing it, that gives you like, okay, I'll keep doing it. Yeah. Same thing with like Andrew Dice Clay. Andrew Dice Clay was nice to me. Came yeah. up to me and uh, like said, keep doing it, you're so funny interesting, guy. There's a guy who has such a strong stage persona um, and, you know, when he was selling out huge arenas, mm-hmm. you know, being a fucking like, boom, boom, all that stuff, you know, right. he... um. He talked openly in uh, has has talked openly in interviews about the fact that his comedy his character it was a character it's always yeah. been a character and just because half of the audience maybe didn't even not not get that his character but they kind of loved the joke was about them and the kind of people they are right they didn't mind it they were like it's funny and we love seeing a guy like some of them probably just didn't even get it they just thought he was that was who he was he said he found that really hard because he was he's quite a sensitive soul and he's quite progressive in a lot of ways and he found it very hard to be 
painted with this, yeah, you fucking sexist pig, misogynist, machismo bullshit thing. He's like, it's not who I am. It's a character. It's a comedy character, but yeah. it's comedy and like, you I, know. I like I knew like early on. I met Dice there, and I everyone knew who Dice was. Yeah. But I got to see him be a father to his kids. His right. kids would be there. And I saw the I saw the side he was of raising them in the uh, in the belly room. Yeah, was, uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I saw <laughs> I saw the side of Dice. Dice's daycare. Yeah, it was pretty good. Dice's daycare. Um, I saw this. Yeah, I saw the side of Dice that people didn't get to see. Yeah. So I saw the human side of Dice right out of the gate. So for me, he's always been Andrew. For sure. Me. Yeah. And then for you know through the years, I you know still friends with him and I see him around and yeah. all that stuff. So I was lucky to see that side of dice right out of the right out of the gate at the comedy store and know that he was like a good person and I know the story all behind everything. Yeah, and yeah. So for me to be a part of his continued development is pretty is pretty cool. I like that's a nice little perk and being doing comedy. Fuck yeah man. I think like, you know, one of the best bits about stand up comedy is getting to perform on stage with people that you respect, you admire, that you enjoy what they do. And Knowing that we can make each other laugh and make other people laugh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful skill to have. A wonderful skill. Yeah. Probably the oldest other than whoring. Yeah. We're second to whores. Yeah. Whore, yeah. Oldest profession in the business and then telling stories and making people laugh. Probably the second, isn't it? The old school, the old gesture in front of the king. Yeah. 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 Court gestures. And they, they need and I got it. I fucking we accent, need it. I could definitely be a court jester. They need it. And the other thing I learned just also is like, it takes years and years to develop it and to mm. be around different comedians. Like I had my friend in in Seattle, Tana Manu. He was a, a Samoan guy. We used to do a show together. Well, yeah, Brody and Tana. And uh, Tana was this, um, again, like a happy-go-lucky Pacific Islander guy. And, yeah. his, and his attitude was, I'm just nice. I'm just, we're just having a good time. Yeah. And he taught me a lot about how to be a host and be friendly and be honest. Like it was honest. It was about being honest and also having a good time and just being happy. Like we would go out, we would, uh, you know, go to fast food and be happy with people. We would never like yeah. be mean to somebody who was a waiter or a wait or. Oh waitress. no, fuck no! If you do that, you're a scumbag, man. I, I I can't stand that. That's a big. That's a big. Um, every time I go on a date with a girl, especially, you know, if I ever see go on a date with a woman and she's rude to the staff or she. You know, she doesn't tip or things like that. I'm like, nah, fuck this bitch. There's yeah. no way. But we would have fun yeah. with them. We would never like be, have them be the butt of the joke. Sure, sure, sure. It was sure. always good times. And so t- I, learned a- that I learned a lot of that with Tana up in Seattle about yeah. being happy. And-, and the other thing is, you know, I'm Jewish, born Jewish, raised Gemini, I like to say. And I didn't go. Th- what does that mean? What does Gemini mean? That's my oh, your my star sign. sign. Sorry, I thought this was like a terminology. It's a little for bit a, of a bit. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I ne- I didn't go into the uh, you know bar mitzvah in private schools. Yeah, I I, I kind of was able. Never to- read the Torah. No, oh, bro. I went so many bar mitzvahs. Yeah, I know. I just I had hard candy thrown at me with such force by so many old Jewish ladies from a from a height. Yeah, there's just something about being. I didn't feel like I wanted to be. Beat the Gentile. Beat the Gentile with sweets. That's what they would scream. That's what they would say? (laughs) You You never know. During a bar mitzvah, there's a bit where all the ladies in the balcony throw sweets down into the bottom area where the kid is reading the Torah. Um, And I did get hit in the head once by an old lady threw a sweet down and it fucking bonked me right in the head. I was like, what are you fucking bitch? What was that about? But I feel like there was something in her eyes that said, you're not one of the chosen people. 
It's like dodgeball. Boom. Yeah, yeah. Dodge this. I mean, I do. I do yeah. feel Jewish, whatever that means. <clears throat> but I also don't like the. <laughs> what does a, that mean? What is that? Uh, I don't know. Just like <laughs> when they describe like Jewish behaviors. You I, love matzo soup. You're I a do, co- you're community community person. You 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 can you, you'll have a whinge about the 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 fucking oh man I can't believe they're putting this shit on TV again. You'll whinge about a series. Yeah, there's 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 stuff. Yeah, there's stuff that I pick up on. So Jewish. But I because I played baseball I, and because I didn't do the 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 private school, the Hebrew school, the bar mitzvah. I feel like <laughs> I've been open to a whole nother You're a street Jew, side. Dude. You're yeah, a street Jew. Yeah, street Jew. I'm hardcore. <laughs> yeah, so I've been I've been lucky for that, but. You know, um, you're an OG. You're an Orthodox Gentile. Yeah, I am. I guess I am Orthodox Orthodox Gemini. I like that. Orthodox Gemini. That and that's why recently I've gone more into like yeah Gemini talk or 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 Chinese zodiac. You're trying to have sex with yoga instructors. I know your game, bro. There you go. I'll (laughs) probably end up with a yoga instructor. I hope you do, man. Bendy, sweet, positive. They're all about positivity. Um, The only thing you got to worry about is diet because are you a vegan no i can eat better man yeah but well but sometimes it's fun not to eat better because the things that are not necessarily that great taste so fucking good but a chick who does yoga you guarantee chia seeds and quinoa that's your life not good i don't know man i dated a, a yoga instructor out here she's also she was a dancer at still is i think at jumbos i was gonna say so jumbos like, <laughs> right down the street yeah i've dated two dancers from there now I'm really racking you up. You hang out there? Is that what the deal is? No. Um, one of them I didn't even meet there. Actually, neither of them I met there. One I met on a dating app, and the other one I met when I came and Airbnb'd. She was staying in the house that I was airbnb People at. do those dating apps. No, I've deleted all of them two months ago. Best thing I ever did. Oh, really? Best thing I ever did, brother. Makes me... All my relationships are so fucking honest now and organic, so sexually as, at least. You and know? where are you meeting these girls? At coffee houses, fucking, bars, uh, after shows? Yeah, like... like Random places. The last, the two girls that um, I've been most intimate with over the last few months. One was someone I knew um, previously, and uh, we just met through m- mutual friends, reconnected. Nice. And the other one uh, at, at a social gathering, and then the other one is um, I met you know through comedy. There you go. Shouldn't, shouldn't fuck other comics though. Yeah, yeah I guess there's a rule with that. I mean, I've dated comedians. It's in fun, the past. Though, right? It's fun. I mean, I may, I may go back to that. Who knows? Yeah, I could see. I mean, there, look, I'll probably. If Maybe you ever really don't, if you ever do decide you hate comedy, that's when you date a comi- another comic. Yeah. So you just go, fuck it. I'll just, fuck it. I'll, no, fuck it. Banking. I'll do banking. I'll do banking. Whatever. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of young, younger <coughs> girls doing comedy. It's so popular. many attractive hot women in comedy now. I'd love to help them out. God. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, listen, you've helped me out by coming on this podcast. I think you're a really interesting guest. i got to wrap it. Yeah. 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 But I, uh, I enjoyed talking. We did I good. Had, yeah, did you have a night? It was nice talking, yeah. wasn't it? I feel like um, what the blessing with you and probably why we ran so long is because all my other guests have been uh, predominantly people that I'm friends with already, have an established friendship with. Maybe not the closest of friends, but at least I know them and I know them personally. Yeah, we never met. Whereas you, we've literally uh, par- in passing me, said hello briefly once or me. twice, once in New York, once in LA, but not for you know with any kind of friendship. So I hope this is the beginning of one. You've been a great guest, man. Enjoy, Enjoy it. Enjoy it. And uh, I think we've learned one thing, which is everyone should do fucking baseball because it seems to have been like a life changer for you. The 
I yes, I, I like it. I like being around. I like the culture of baseball. I like stadiums. I like the sounds. I like. Next time someone asks me, "How do I become a comic?" After a show, they come out and go, "How do I become a pro comic, man? How do I do that?" I really. Everyone says I'm funny. I'd be like, "Baseball. Go to a baseball. Give game. baseball five years." And yeah. Then you, then you let me know if you're ready for comedy. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, my guest, uh, Brody Stevens, amazing guy. Check him out. If you want to f- find out where you're performing, uh, what's the website address we can go to? Or my, well, you my social media, my, Instagram, uh, Twitter? My Twitter and Instagram, it's Brody is me friend. Based off Tony and Mr. Lee, my busboys in New York, Brody, you good guy, you me friend. Brody is me friend. And also my website, which needs to be updated, but BrodyStevens.com. There you go. And I'm here. Any other product, uh, uh, podcasts or projects coming up that you want people to check out? I have my own podcast on all things comedy, The Festival of Friendship. Okay, so I love that just, name. Yeah, I've been I've been doing that for a while. Dude, uh, ATC, I've been watching so much of their content, and I think they have a wonderful... My buddy Pete Lee just did one of their shows, yeah. and uh, and my and another friend, Jenny Zagrino, went on one of their shows, and I, uh, I, they seem to be doing great stuff. Yeah, it's uh, comedian-friendly. Bill Burr and Al Madrigal, they, they own you know, it, right? They, they own it, it yeah. so it's very comedy-friendly. It's a good vibe, and I've been working with them for... You know, close to over a year now. And say it one more time. The podcast is called Festival of Friendship. Festival of Friendship. And they can find that on YouTube, obviously on the All Things Comedy uh, YouTube page. It's on And then yeah, also exactly. Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud. All, all that the stuff, stuff they're working on. And, you know, everyone's got a podcast, but I like, I do it. You know what, though, man? Like, my listeners, if they like someone, they go and support them. So let's make sure you guys check out that uh, Festival of Friendship. Enjoy it. And, ladies and gentlemen, also go and buy some merch. Check the links in the uh, description. We've got the Savage Snowflake uh, logo. I got a look. These just literally came through. These are samples that came through today. So these are all on sale now. And then we've got look, the Savage Snowflake podcast t shirt. If you want to support the podcast, go do that. Also, head to patreon.com forward slash Savage Snowflake. Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you. Thank you for joining me. And once again, Bro Stevens, thanks for You got here. it. Appreciate it.